0: everyone and you are listening to the TMQ podcast podcasting from inside Dante Cola Promotions Studio One in Wichita Kansas and going out to the entire world I am El Gran Tommy Martinez it's a fantastic episode so sit back as you listen to it on your favorite platform And enjoy whatever I have for you, baby. Keep it rockin', baby. Wow, the TMQ podcast. Finally, it feels strange. It it feels weird to have changed the name. Even more, saying it, the TMQ podcast. But it sounds good. Kind of uh, feels liberating. Kind of a uh, I don't know some pressure relief of some sort. There's millions of podcasters out there. So if you're listening to this podcast, I salute you. And as we head out on this voyage together. I hope that it evolves, and I hope you as my audience evolve with me. Because there's a whole bunch of crazy things happening in this world. And sometimes we all just need that little distractor. I'm behind the uh, microphone. I updated my Audacity program that I use to record the podcast, and it's been a while because I've been busy. And while I haven't been podcasting or recording on the program, there's been an update. So I'm also trying to figure out the uh, new functions. One of the basic ones being the merge, and that particular function is extremely important. <laughs> especially when it comes to cutting the the, uh, the dead spaces between all the stupid stuff that I'm going to speak on this podcast. And I was researching my material, as I always do, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the rock and roll world. I'm going to try to figure out how I can put this all together as we launch officially the very first TMQ podcast. It's rockin' History, brought to you from the pages of History.com, today in music.com, song facts, history.com, and classic bands.com. And that's some Genesis. said this before, while I've been doing these podcasts for the past couple of years, and I find this in history, I really love it, because Genesis was one of my first groups that uh, just captivated uh, my imagination, and Peter Gabriel is such a great performer, yeah, and this was uh, Peter Gabriel back in November 18th, 1974, way, way before he did all those pop records. That he did in the 80s. And I'm well aware that most of the rock and roll crowd. Maybe a little bit younger than I am. Know Genesis with Phil Collins as their frontman. But Peter Gabriel was the original singer for Genesis. What marks this album as important within the... Genesis story is that this is the last album that featured Peter Gabriel on vocals. By then, they had recorded at least, uh, I think, six albums. Let me check real quick yep six albums this particular album and and I remember this song the song was on rotation on my favorite uh, radio station in Puerto Rico which was Radio Heavy and this song was the title track of the album this is why I know a little bit about this tune the background of the album though is the band was working on material as they usually do and it turned into a concept album now this is 1974 and the idea of having a concept album wasn't that far-fetched the Beatles had done it with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and then after that, other artists have had concept albums, most famously probably The Who's Tommy, Ziggy Stardust, and The Spiders from Mars, which was a David Bowie concept. Thus, having Genesis doing a concept album in 1974 was not far-fetched. The concept that Gabriel developed, the story was about a guy called Rayel, and he was a Puerto Rican youth from New York City who was suddenly taken into a journey of self-discovery and encounters bizarre incidents and characters along the way way so as a puerto rican youth myself of course that's going to resonate for the rest of the world you don't hear a lot about this album this particular album wasn't on the success level like pink floyd's the wall the who's other concept album quadrophenia even rush's uh, 2112 which was also a concept album but a band with the power of genesis the band genesis itself with the talent that was in it is undeniable And sadly, as many of our favorite bands, there was going to be some contention in there. There was going to be some infighting. This is the album you saw that split Peter Gabriel made from Genesis itself. There was a lot of issues. Gabriel wanted to write the entire album. The sessions were recorded separately as jam sessions. Like I always suggest, you could go ahead and look up some of the uh, other history concerning this particular album. I say, uh, just go ahead and give your musical palettes a little taste, something different maybe, and check out this album. It might help broaden you know, your feel for somebody like Peter Gabriel, who just uh, finished touring not too long ago and then you also uh, get to know how diverse this guy is, even though I'm not a big Peter Gabriel fan, I understand I understand why this guy's talent is so revered within the rock community. Not only was he a vocal performer, or, you know, frontman, composer, he was also a visual performer. He had these really wild costumes. He'd come out and kind of interpreted songs. It was really bizarre in a sense. Uh, check out some old pictures. Go online and check out some, uh, some young Peter Gabriel fronting Genesis. And in case you were wondering if I was going to bring up Phil Collins, absolutely. Phil Collins at the time that this record was made. He had been in Genesis maybe about three or four years and he was the drummer on this actual record. He sung, I think, one of the songs on this particular album. So maybe this was a breeding ground to continue uh, using Phil Collins once Peter Gabriel had left. There you go. There's some Phil Collins for you. And this is Apocalyptica. Covering Metallica's creeping death. is going about a thousand miles an hour even in this semi-symphonic version of Apocalyptica that's the kind of power that Metallica songs have over me let me let me breathe for a second a really quick note I always love how fast heavy metal music translates over to classical instruments While that song is going, the cellos and the violins and all that, in my head, and I'm sure in your head as well, you could hear the guitar, the bass, and those drums just going. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Come on down to earth, Mr. Tommy Martinez. Here we go. 1984, ladies and gentlemen, November the 20th of 1984, Metallica release creeping death the only single off of a ride the lightning hmm. what's happening in 1984 at least in the popular scene or in the uh, what do you call it uh in the ear of pop music it wasn't Metallica for sure no let me see real quick what was on the top 40 charts i'm gonna tell you what was happening back in 1984 1984 tommy martinez was 19 years old living in North Carolina, single, and going to all these crazy nightclubs like the Utima and the Firefly Lounge in Fayetteville. So I remember this very clearly. Well, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Hold Me Now by the Thompson Twins, Relax, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Almost Paradise. Yeah, I remember that song. That was a guy from Loverboy and Ann Wilson from Heart. They teamed up for that one. I Feel For You, Shaka Khan, I remember that one. Eat It, (laughs) Weird Al. Out of touch, Hall & Oates, Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean, mm, yeah. When Doves Cry, Prince, The Cars You Might Think was out there at that time, too. Now let's take a look at the rock world here. Okay, of course. It's Van Halen's Jump, off of the album titled for that year, 1984. Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, The Scorpions Rock You Like a Hurricane, Iron Maiden's Two Minutes to Midnight, also, Ace's High. Both of those are off of their Power Slave album. That album had come out uh, probably the year before. I'm not sure if it came out in 1984. Anyway, uh, Queen's I Want to Break Free also. Bon Jovi's Runaway, and that's off of that Fahrenheit album they had. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know why they include this one in rock, but it's Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore from Mario Speedwagon. Also that year, Ozzy was still touring on, uh, I want to say, Bark at the Moon. And Motley Crue was out that year with Shout at the Devil. is a newcomer, basically, back then. They had previously put out "Kill 'Em All. And these were both on Megaforce's label. I think they were Megaforce. Let me look real quick. Yes, sir. Ride the Lightning was Megaforce and Kill Em All. Yep, Megaforce. Both were Megaforce. That was the label that was carrying Metallica at the time which I think they're really, really grateful for because metal as thrash metal, as heavy, hardcore metal, anthrax, armored Saints, exodus, these kinds of groups weren't in the mainstream per se. They weren't flashy. They didn't wear all these costumes. They didn't have all this makeup. They were just stripped down, denim and leather heavy metal. And this was Metallica. Placing Metallica in that kind of historical context is a testament of how persevering Metallica is. Placing them in that context shows you what they were up against. Placing them in that historical context, you could see that their road to the success that they enjoy today wasn't an easy one. And we all know bands don't last long, especially these younger bands. For them to make it big in this industry that is the music industry, they have to stay focused. They have to glue themselves together and keep their eye on the prize. And Metallica did a fantastic job doing that. And that's done with Stepping Stones. They first laid their foundation down with Killamall. And we all know that Killamall had Whiplash, Jump into the Fire. I think the Four Horsemen's on that one too, but but definitely one of my favorites of all time, Seek and Destroy. Then it's followed up by ride the lightning. So you're laying down these tracks on your rock and roll foundation, on your heavy metal foundation, and you want to delight your fan base. You want to delight your consumer base, the people who are going to buy this record. The first thing you see when you walk into that record store is this beautiful album cover of an electrical chair. Yes, the same exact ones that they use to execute human beings in prison. It's in the air. There's lightning hitting it. There's a a bluish sky color, like when it's stormy, and that's your introduction to ride the lightning. Your visual introduction, and again, historical content is very important here because you had to go to the store to buy this record. You know, you were a teenager, young adult, into this kind of music. Uh, You hear that the release date is X date, and you're ready to buy this record in complete anticipation from what you already received when you had heard, kill em all. And in addition to Creeping Death, that was the single released on November the 20th of 1984. You also have Fade to Black, The Call of Cthulhu, and of course, For Whom the Bell Tolls. And we all know that one goes. That's the bell, that's, <laughs> that's the bell effect. And then it comes in. Ta-dum. Da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na. Woo. Wait, what's that? You don't know how it goes. Well, here's a little bit of it right now. Hey, 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 hey! Just takes you like right there. You're in the stands. You're on the floor. And it transports you and places you (laughs) where you need to be at. In the middle of a Metallica show, you're part of that Metallica family, as they call it now. But going back, going back to Creeping Death, this was a song of substance. Some assholes would just look at the title of the song and say, oh, this is just some devil shit. Take it completely out of context. No, this song wasn't. If you remember those lyrics that I was killing at the beginning of this segment, I was singing about slaves and Hebrews and the Pharaoh and something had to be done and there was a chosen one. (laughs) And now that I think about it with what's going on in the Middle East, (laughs) this is maybe or maybe not an appropriate uh, song to talk about. But yeah, this was about killing the firstborn son of the Egyptians, because they didn't want to let the Hebrews out of Egypt. This is biblical. The Egyptians were using the Jews to construct their cities and their pyramids. Here comes Moses, and he tells the Pharaoh, Listen, don't fuck with us. Let us get out of here. Let me and my people go. And um, the Pharaoh didn't listen even after he had sent plagues before. God decides to send the mother of all plagues. God sends the angel of death. That's the creeping death that Metallica is referring to on this epic song. Now, my version wasn't the Sunday school version, but you get the idea. And if you don't, I'm going to bring up these lyrics real fast. I'm going to read to you a little part of it here. Blood running red and strong down the Nile plague darkness three days long hail the fire <laughs> and then it goes into this awesome chorus that says so let it be written let it be done to kill the firstborn Pharaoh's son I'm creeping death nice that lyric in 1984 compared to uh, wake me up before you go go let's look at some of those lyrics lyrics wake me up jitterbug (laughs) oh nice look at this you put the boom boom into my heart oh oh you send my soul sky high when your loving starts jitterbug into my brain yeah yeah goes a bang 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 till my feet do the same (laughs) how did that one break the top 40 and not Metallica's Creeping Death, I don't know. You be the judge. Check out Creeping Death. Check out Ride the Lightning. It is phenomenal. Plus, where else can you get a Sunday school rock and roll lesson? With the help of the mighty Metallica, if not on the TMQ podcast. One, two, three, four. This weekend. Oh, yeah. Kiss! And this is KISS, I STOLE YOUR LOVE LIFE! Gonna I let know you down. Fantastical. Kisses I stole your love. Wow. Now you knew that the TMQ podcast was gonna feature some kind of history. So don't act surprised. I stole your love. Yeah. This is off of one of my favorite KISS albums, which is Love Gun. I mean, really, Love Gun is probably one of the top KISS albums of all time. For the hardcore KISS fans, this song is a staple. It's a standard. It stands out. It's immediately recognized by us. In Paul Stanley's last book, KISS Behind the Mask, I think he said that this particular song was influenced by a Deep Purple uh, song. I can't remember what the title was. I like it because it's fast. It's catchy. It has all the elements of rock and roll. Great beat, nice rhythm, pronounced guitars. A couple of years ago, uh, somebody sent me like a little Kiss stage and miniature Kiss action figures thingies. It was from Connects, or one of those little Lego looking ones. And I immediately, you know, I looked at it, and uh, I was listening to, yeah, I was, I was listening to I Stole Your Love. And I made a quick music video, and I actually sent it, it to my rock and roll buddies. And it, it just always, I, I associate that song nowadays with that video. It was so funny. You know, I did the, uh, the camera effects on it, and <laughs> the close-ups on the faces of the little action figures of the guitars, you know, to the parts as the song was playing. <laughs> It was this whole thing. I may have posted it to the Datecola Promotions Instagram page. And if I didn't, well, maybe I'll make a note of it. So you can check it out. But, you know, those social media websites also kind of limit what you could post when it comes to creations uh, that involve uh, other people's material, such as this song from, uh, from Kiss. So you know, rightfully so. Kiss back in the news. You know, the Kiss publicity machine running at full speed. There's even an article in Rolling Stones magazine, an interview that Gene Simmons gave him. And this is all because, obviously, the end of the road tour. Last show's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Ultimate Classic Rock's headline is Gene Simmons sad and angry about Fraley and Chris's absence. And for those who don't know, he's referring to Peter Chris and Ace Fraley not wanting to come on for the encores on the last two shows in New York City. To all my new listeners, I had covered a little bit about this in the podcast that I used to do previously to the TMQ podcast. Ultimate Classic Rock says that Gene Simmons is unhappy that founding members Fraley and Chris won't share the stage with the current lineup to uh, give the fans you know, this great encore or so that's told to us, the fans. If you follow the Rock News, you'll hear Fraley's version, which is not about sadness, this and the other. It's about money. It comes down to the bottom line like so much and in so many disputes when it comes to rock and roll specifically rock and roll business and here's the quote i feel sad i feel sad and angry that both ace and peter aren't here the band's founding basis told 519 magazine and it continues i mean they're alive but they're not here to enjoy this unbelievable journey with us they were there at the beginning and deserve all the credit and when they look in the mirror the only reason they're not here with us is themselves. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know I'm a big Kiss fan. I mean, both podcasts feature the same segment, right? But I have to be, but I have to be objective on this one. And I call this a straight up bullshit. I have nothing to prove it, but that's my feeling on it. I've seen the original version of Kiss when they reunited back in the 1990s, mid 1990s. It was super cool to see these guys up there. I had seen previous versions of KISS after they had broke up at the beginning of the 80s. If you follow KISS like I followed it, and if you read the different books and the interviews and you hear them speak, this has been ongoing even when they had reunited back in the 90s. This whole thing was plagued by problems. Everyone who's a fan, should know that Kiss is really Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, at least in the current version that we've had it for the past, let's say, 30 years, right? So I say, why even fake it? Listen, if if it comes up in an interview, because it's going to be inevitable. The fans really want to see this. I just say the truth. I just say, you know, straight up what it is. Look, we've given this, we've offered this amount of money. No, they said no. And, you know, they've countered with this and we've said no. And this is just me piecing together what is released to the public here and there. I don't have any insider information, any, you know, any bullshit like that. This is 100% my speculation. And I've come up with this conclusion because I understand a little bit about how business works. The tickets to see this show are sky high. And personally, I think they'll sell regardless, even if Ace and Peter don't join for these final shows. Another angle that I'm thinking about is, who's to say this is not to stir up some more controversy, sell some more tickets, and bam, at the end, they all of a sudden pop in. What would have been really cool is nobody said anything, and they stir up this uh, this fan frenzy that they may or may not be there at the end. And whammo, they lay it all out. Man, that Madison Square Garden would explode the minute those two come walking out on that glorious stage. I could see all kinds of pyro going off, lights flashing. Oh, wow, the crowd. Woo! Actually, I think they should have hired me for all this. (laughs) It's been done before in the Kiss Kingdom, when Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley came out on the Unplugged album. Right there in New York City, by the way, where they filmed and recorded it. Next thing you know, you have Tupac presenting them in the Grammys. They're announcing this huge tour. That's a little trip down memory lane for those of you in the Kiss Army who had forgotten about that. All this said, it looks like it really is the end of the road for our heroes. We'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, Simmons and fellow founding member Paul Stanley will conclude the band's nearly five-year-long end-of-the-road farewell tour. And this is still off of Ultimate Classic Rock. It's a sold-out show in New York City's Madison Square Garden on December the 2nd. And the concert will be streamed live on pay-per-view. And guess who has already bought and have the access codes ready? This guy right here. It was my granddaughter's birthday party that day. And when I say was, <laughs> it was a glorious announcement. She wasn't gonna have one, so I could watch this historical moment in history live on pay per view. Ale, my beautiful granddaughter, thank you from the very bottom of this kiss-loving rock and roll heart. <laughs> Prayer, past you bad. <laughs> of course (laughs) i'll have to get her a special present for sure and it's time for a hashtag what the frijoles the tmq podcast version yeah i like this version a lot better too what that was an abrupt ending I'll definitely have to work on that one. All right, what the frijoles is. This one is from the Associated Press, or the AP, as it's better known. Dated November the 7th of 2023. Extraterrestrials return to Mexico's Congress as journalist presses case for non-human beings. Oh, brother, just reading the title, you already know there's a possibility, a high possibility, that there's some nutbag associated to this story. Remember, keyword, possibility. We don't know yet. Let's move on. Mexico City. The lower chamber of Mexico's Congress once again turned to Spectacle Tuesday, devoting hours of its time to a controversial character who pressed the case for non-human beings. He said that were found in Peru. So let me get this straight. There's a guy from Peru that's at the Congress of Mexico discussing some shit about some extraterrestrials. World map time. Peru's in South America. Mexico is in the southern portion of North America. So I guess these Peruvians have some explaining to do up there in Mexico. Let's continue. Less than three weeks after Cat 5 hurricane, Hurricane Otis, devastated Acapulco, a port of nearly one million people, the Chamber of Deputies spent more than three hours listening to a journalist named Jose Jaime Maussan and his group of Peruvian doctors. Maussan and some Mexican lawmakers became the subject of international ridicule in September when he presented two boxes with supposed mummies found in Peru. Yee, well, maybe Mexico is the authority now on UFOs. According to ancient aliens, that's an area where there's a lot of speculated alien activity. Maybe this has something to do with it. So that ridiculing, maybe that's just bullying. Maybe And sometime in the future, they'll be proven correct. I wouldn't expect it to be in the near future, though. Now, to make this long story short, this guy back in his country of Peru came with the same bullshit with the mommies. And some prosecutor proved it to be fake. They were found to be recently manufactured dolls, and they had been covered with a mixture of paper and synthetic glue to simulate some sort of skin. These guys weren't even creative. They took these dolls to Mexico as well. Hey, Dr. Mendoza, a doctor of I don't know what, but anyway, he showed some forensics on uh, them, x-rays, whatnot. This Mausan guy says it's a new species. (laughs) Except that they don't have lungs and ribs like we do. How convenient. Now, here's a country, okay? Mexico. Given that our country isn't the most perfect one in the world, but shit, Mexico's coming apart. You have people down there that are basically being governed by these cartels. And the government is fucking around with mummies from Peru from some guy who says they're aliens? That is whack-a-doodle display on prime time. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't believe in UFOs. And that we're the only sentient species in this entire universe. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty egotistical of us Terrians, right? Of us people from Earth. But that's me as a private citizen, not me as some governor, or some ruler, or some senator, somebody that has something else to deal with instead of shit like this. And here's the best part of this story. Lawmaker Sergio Gutierrez from the government party of President Andres Manuel López Obrador, that's the president of Mexico, said all ideas and all proposals will always be welcome to debate them, hear them, to agree with or not. It's not like the Mexican people are not already in trouble, but now they have fucking woke ideology. That was a hashtag. What the free is? Get the hell out of here with that shit. Ay, ay, ay. And here I thought we had problems with woke shit. It's the rock news on the TMQ podcast. News that matters to me. And I'm bringing it to you on this episode. Oh, that was another abrupt ending, though. I need to work on these. That's okay. This is my first one. I have more than enough time to work on my, on my original music. Rock news. The 2024 rock slash metal festivals and cruise guide is out. Loudwire on November the 21st put out a more or less of what's going to be happening. Mainly at the beginning of next year in the rock scene. To include going on boats... Getting drunk and God knows what else as you enjoy an all rock and roll cruise tour. The festival starts as early as January with the Alter Ego Festival out in California. That'll feature Paramore 1975, The Black Keys, 30 Seconds to Mars, Bush, some 41 etc, etc, followed a little bit later in the month by uh, the Rock Island Festival, and that's on January the 17th to the 20th, and that's in Key West, Florida. That one's going to be more kind of an 80s, 90s kind of vibe. It's got Night Ranger, Brett Michaels, Tom Kiefer, Stone Temple Pilots. Mr. Big Winger, D. Snyder, Lou Graham. That one I'd actually go to if I was close enough. Seems like with the years, the festival scene has been a big deal, kind of almost to the level of Europe. Glass and Berry, Monsters of Rock, if that one's still going on. And that's not a bad deal. You could go and you could see all these, you know, B and C acts during the day, and then during the evenings, you see these uh, headliners. There's also one here called Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. That would be a cruise there's a chris jericho's band on that one some other acts like trickster and bullet boys there's another uh <laughs> there's another one called disturbing the sea that sea cruises with biohazard the outburst and then the rock boat that cruise is in february from miami to the uh, bahamas and mexico this rock cruise features the giant the struts Bowling for Soup, uh, along with some other groups. There you have it. Check it out. Little winter activity. So you get a warm up for all the big festivals coming at the end of spring all the way through autumn. And if you like being stuck on a boat for three or four days, what better way than to do so with uh, the groups of uh, music that you like? Moving along also on November the 21st, but at this time on Ultimate Classic Rock, there's a story by Corey Irvin that's titled... What Getty Lee learned from Russia's stupid drug experiences. That sounds like some that somebody on one of these uh, rock cruises would actually go through. Not judging, just saying. Getty Lee looks back at Russia's drug history, admitting he learned valuable lessons from the experiences. In a recent interview with Rolling Stones, the bassist recalled making Russia's 1975 album caress of steel, revealing how being under the influence affected his perception of the music. I'm going to interject here real quick. Being a musician myself, okay, I have heard from from fellow musicians that drugs and other substances in your body that are alien to your everyday life. Do something to your perception and how you manifest and create your art. I'm just going to leave it right there because honestly, I've never experienced that. Now let's see what Getty has to say. And I quote, we were way too stoned making that record. Honest to God, Lee confessed. I think it is almost six months after making the record, I listened to it. And what I thought had a lot of reverb and echo was pretty dry. I was like, what the hell? The only two songs that I think were on this record were Bastille Day and for sure The Necromancer because that's based on J.R.R. Tolkien's works, which some of you know that he's the one that created the Lord of the Rings and that kind of fantasy world literature. If you heard me on podcast for quite a while, you know that's, that's kind of my thing. The article continues saying, Getty realizing the material sounded totally different when he was sober was a significant moment for him. It was a really important lesson to him because if you're going to be a serious musician, You got to stop fucking around with that stuff. Then he went on to recall something about when he was younger and he had played a gig on Acid, which resulted in him getting kicked out of Rush. And to him, that was not a cool experience at all. He recalls that as one of the worst experiences in his life. Rush is a band that plays very intricate, very complex music. There's time changes. There's even key changes, things like that. You have to be a monster musician to be able to play and be successful as they were. And I would say being sober <laughs> would be the the right way to go about it. And I intentionally didn't leave out the complex lyrics That uh, Neil Peart came up with. I can't imagine being under any kind of influence and remembering those big ass words. Much less those storylines. They're epic. Music is about timing. (laughs) And I think these substances may affect that a little bit. I have another piece of Rush news real quick. Geddy Lee says he and Alex Lifeson could perform as Rush again. This was a story written on November the 10th by Michael Gallucci. Geddy Lee said he'd be open to performing with former bandmate. Alex Lifeson, again, as Rush, The band called it quits in 2020 after the January death that year of drummer Neil Peart. That's some damn good news, I think. They've toyed around here and there. I believe they were at the Taylor Hawkins tribute. They were also at the South Park tribute in Red Rock. Then they performed together. Getty said so in this Washington Post interview that he'd perform once again under the moniker of Rush alongside his childhood buddy, Mr. Alex Lifeson. If they head out on the road again as Rush, we have Mr. Paul McCartney to thank for that, whose idea it was when they both performed at the Taylor Hawking's tribute in London and suggested that they go back out on the road as Rush. I guess Paul McCartney beat me to it. I was going to suggest it to Getty whenever he comes on my podcast. Anyway, (laughs) and if you didn't know, Getty's out right now at a town near you doing a book tour. I have one more story for you. Very cool piece of news. Also from Ultimate Classic Rock, David Lee Roth's response to Hagar's tour offer, let's do this. Sammy Hagar in the past couple of months has been quoted saying, hey, I want to do a tour with DLR with Mr. Diamond Dave himself. Well, evidently, word got around and they finally reached David Lee Roth. And he said, absolutely, let's do this. But mm, he probably said it in the David Lee Roth fashion, which I'm not even going to try to attempt here. For the fans, I think that is a very substantial extraordinary, exceptional, just a plain flat out great, great idea if it comes to fruition. But officially nothing's been put out, at least not from the Hagar camp, which started this. This story was written by Michael Wilkening on November the 21st as well. It has Sammy Hagar quoted just recently saying, If Alex Van Halen wants to jump up, if David Lee Roth wants to come out and join us, come on, motherfucker. You're welcome. This is about Van Halen. Sammy was on the Howard Stern show when he said that. My personal thoughts on this, it'd be a mass grossing tour. The fans full of nostalgia, still in full memory of Eddie Van Halen. Those Coliseums are going to fill up. Close out the show. Maybe a pair of shows in Los Angeles. Have some other guest stars come on. Yeah. I dare say this is the ticket for next year. The catalog of songs. The variety of tunes. Their personalities. A jab here. A jab there. Don't even make it two separate bands. Or two separate sets. Do it all in one set. Like Sammy does a Cabo Wobble. I'd go. I'd go full throttle to wherever. To see that show I just want to go on the record here That these guys are missing out a lot Not hiring me For all these great ideas I have And by the way If they all surface After the release of this podcast You know who they got it from (laughs) Let me see if I have anything else I do But that's my cue It's the Thanksgiving holiday in the USA Hope everyone is going to have a great time With their families Like I'm about to have I have a full house At a minimum you can be thankful you heard my podcast. Also, you can be thankful I'm about to lay on you this gruel that me and my buddy and music instructor, mentor, sensei, the mighty Mr. Aaron Epp, and I laid down this week. I wanna also thank the new and growing fan base of this my new podcast. Don't let anyone tell you what you should think. Use those research skills to call out whoever it may be on their bullshit. Even mine, the TMQ podcast, streaming on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, RSS Podcasts, and many others. Subscribe and check out when your notification bell chimes. I am your host, El Gran Tommy Martinez, and you are listening to the best podcast. The TMQ podcast. Hasta la próxima. Until then, keep it rocking. That's just like a great group. Man, it's, such a, it's just such a tasty group. So many different ways you can approach it, but that's.